Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Annie, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it's my privilege and honor to share with you God's word today. But, you know, before we actually begin, if you don't mind, I just ask you to bow your head with me in a word of prayer as we look to the Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for every Sunday that is a privilege to come and tell you how much we love you and how much we thank you. And thank you that we could do this together in person as well as online. And we thank you that our heart of worship hopefully will never end. Uh, for the rest of eternity, may our songs be of praise to you. As we meet and continue in our series in Shalom, we pray that every member and every person who gathers and hears and worships, may our hearts be turned towards you. May we truly have this peace with you, this ever-growing and joy uh, and love for you. And now as we look to your word, would you bless this time as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series in Shalom, um, today I want to address uh, something that perhaps we all are familiar with and have wrestled with, and it's the will of God. And as we think about the will of God, I want to ask you a question. Is God good? And when I ask that, I, I really mean not just in your head, but in your heart. Do you really know and believe that God is good? He deserves our worship and our songs of praise. And he, as he rightfully and perfectly deserves this, there are some who gather every week. And as we sit in our seats, we know what it is to come in with our Christian smiles and hello and how was your week and all that. But in our hearts, the moment the worship leader says, now let's sing our songs of praise, it's hard. It's hard to sing, great is thy faithfulness. It's hard to sing, God is so good, or I trust you, Lord. There are times when we've gone through so many wrestles, wrestling and, and struggles in our time with God that when your soul is struggling, you are not always sure that you could say that God is good. It's hard to sing these songs. It's not only hard to sing, but it's hard to pray. How do you pray to a God who seems silent in our pain? What do you say to a God who says he loves you 
and yet allows your marriage to end in divorce or your loved one to pass away. Every week there are people among us who are sitting in pain. They have deep life questions and it's difficult for them to open up and to really sing and pray to God. There are times when I'm sure when a pastor says, now let's bow our heads in words of prayer, there are probably some of you who sit there and think, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say to God. I don't even know if I really want to talk to him right now. Every week as we do this, I'm sure there are some who are sitting among us, who are watching, who have very little or no shalom with God. In the Asian culture, we know that it's wrong to shame an authority figure like a parent or a teacher. And so we act as if it's okay or we... We, we want to refrain from honest comments when they ask us, are you okay? We say, yeah, I'm okay. And we say that it's okay when we know it's not okay. And sometimes, even as good Christians, we do this with God. To all of you who've been going through something like this, or are going through it now, these struggles and these questions, I want to say to you that he sees you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And I'm here to proclaim that he really does love you. He's not silent. He's not distant or indifferent. And yes, he is good. With all love and respect for those who have gone through heartache and struggles, I want to offer you some important thoughts and some truths that may be uncomfortable to hear but might help us to return to a place of peace with the will of God. Recently, the pastoral team and I, we've been meeting with people who've been going through marital struggles where divorce is a real option. We've been to funerals of both parents and their children. And I want to tell you that nothing reminds us of the realities of life and death more than a funeral. It is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what your troubles may be. It doesn't matter what complaints we may have before God. Death, when you stand before it, is a great equalizer. We remember that there is only one hope, one true God, and our hope is in him. Today in our passage in Luke 22, verses 39 to 30, uh, 46, it is the famous account of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, where this passage refers to as the Mount of Olives. And it is in this place where Jesus prays the line, not my will, but yours be done. In essence, what Jesus is praying is, Father, this is what I'm asking, and this is even what I want, but ultimately I want what you think is best. And from this passage, there are three questions for us to work through and try to find shalom with God's will. The first is, why is it so hard to submit, surrender, and accept the will of God? Second, what did Jesus do that we find so hard to do, so difficult to do? And then third is more of an application. What can we do to respond to God's will the way Jesus did? Let's address the first question. Why is it so hard for us to submit, surrender, or accept the will of God. In verse 39 to 40, it says, He came out and went uh, 
as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Why is it so hard to submit, surrender, or accept the will of God? Well, simply put, because of another will that's contesting the will of God, mine. I know this isn't rocket science, and I'm sure some of you are sitting here right now saying, I do accept the will of God. But my question to you is, are you at peace? Is there unrest? Are you facing sleeplessness or even frustration? And some people use that word, I think it's almost kind of a euphemism for anger. When they say, I'm so frustrated in my marriage, I'm frustrated with my kids, I'm frustrated with traffic, I I say, but you look angry. You actually even sound angry. I actually made the mistake of saying that to my wife, and I actually got a real angry response. (laughs) There are times when we face life circumstances that are difficult to understand at best and just heartbreaking at worst. And during these moments, our hearts will struggle, it will doubt. We'll wrestle with God and maybe even face temptation. The word temptation here is defined as one, it is, it is to try and to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to thorough and extensive testing. It's the same word that's used when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. The temptation is to want my will so badly that I don't care for God's will. Jesus knew that the flesh is weak and that in moments of deep struggle, we need the strength that prayer brings. But when our hearts are in a difficult place, in a fearful place, in a desperate place, praying is not so easy. You know, prayer is interesting because before you can pray, a few things need to be true. One, You have to believe that the one you're addressing knows more, knows better, and can actually help you. That's why you would pray. Another truth is that you have to be aware of the fact that the person you're praying to has his own will. And he may not see things the way you and I see things. And thirdly, you have to believe that praying is worth your time and effort. That you, can, you believe that this is going to somehow benefit or help you versus doing something your own way in your own time by your own strength. It's at these times our wrestling with God will manifest either a prayerlessness or sometimes a prayer that is demanding. Where prayer is more than just a request but an ultimatum. If you... If you ever have gone through this moment, you know what it feels like to come to prayer and it's not, may your will be done. Is God, I need this, I want this, you must give this to me in Jesus' name. If you've ever felt those type of situations or gone through those experiences where your prayer is more of a demand, an ultimatum than a request, I, I, I understand. If you know my family's story, my wife Jen Jen and I, we have two kids, Joshua and Elizabeth. They're 17 and 15. They're both teenagers. They act like teenagers. 
Pastor Harold and I, when he talks about his girls, sometimes they're sweet girls. My kids are good kids, but sometimes we get this attitude. We lament together. Uh, we struggle. And we understand what it means to have teenagers. But during each of the pregnancies of both Joshua and Elizabeth, my wife was struggling so much with a condition that was, that's called hyperemesis. Hyperemesis is morning sickness gone run amok. It's, it's that nausea 24-7. And this lasted the entirety of her pregnancy from week six all the way to birth. During this period, we weren't sure if, our, if, the, baby, if, if the baby in the mother's womb would make it to full term. And I remember there were times when we, we saw her just struggling to eat. She couldn't eat. And she went from maybe 115 pounds to like 90 pounds. She was just literally bones, and she was struggling, and she was crying. And I remember her mom and I were sitting at the table forcing her to eat as she's gagging. And with tears streaming down her face, unable to even drink water. I remember some nights she would wake up in the middle of the night, run to the, to the bathroom, just heaving up nothing, because there was nothing in her stomach to throw up. And I remember patting on her in the back, and she's weeping over the toilet, and I said, it's okay. And I knew it wasn't okay. And in those moments, to be very honest with you, I could not pray thy will be done. I didn't know what was going to happen. I had fear. I had this deep fear that I would lose a child or I might even lose my wife. In those moments, it was really hard to pray with real trust and surrender. And each day filled with tears and pleading. It was a living nightmare for Jen, and it was a living nightmare for a husband who likes to fix things for her. I could do nothing. All I could do was idly sit by. There was no option B. The uncertainty was real. It was ongoing like a nightmare that wouldn't stop. Every single day, it was a struggle. And of course, I would ask the question, how could this be God's will? How could this be something good that God would want for me? The one who sent his only son to die for me on the cross, the one who declared his love for me and called me to serve him in ministry, how could this be good for me? You know, the struggle with God's will is not so much about the things that kind of matter, but with the things that are ultimate things that ultimately matter, things that we can't live without. Even the very good things that God himself gave as a gift that these things can become ultimate things, where it becomes the idol of the heart. When good things become ultimate things, these challenge and take the place of God. That I wanted so much for this prayer to be answered, I didn't care what God wanted. And the reason why idols are so dangerous to the heart is because idols can blind us to the love of God. I questioned whether God loved me. Idols can preoccupy us and keep us from enjoying God in his presence. I couldn't enjoy prayer. Prayer was agony. Prayer was hoping that God would see that I'm right and he, whatever he's willing, has to be what I want. 
Idols drain us of life. It doesn't give us life like God does. Because it never satisfies. It gives the imagery and the temptation like it can, and can satisfy. But in the deepest need of my heart, as much as I love my wife and my kids, I need him most of all. Without him, I don't know what it means to offer love to my wife and my kids. So a few things. What is going on in our hearts? And I remember doing some reflection during that period, and I want to share with you some insights that I had that might be true for you. First, I don't want to give up my godhood of playing God. That's basically referring to control. I need to be able to predict and direct and control the events of my life. I want to know what's happening tomorrow because tomorrow seems so unsure, and I'm actually in those moments, I wondered if whatever tomorrow is, I wondered if sometimes God, and I know this sounds so weird and, and maybe even uh, cruel and unbelievable, but I actually wondered, God, do you take pleasure in our pain? Do you want to see me grovel and ask you and with tears, do you find pleasure in this? And so I would desperately pray and yet I would do everything in my power to control the circumstance the best I could. And in my heart, I could not give up that space to God. It was mine. Another reason is that there's another God in my heart. I say I want it, but really it's what I needed. And what I, need, what I needed at the time was not God. What I needed was this pregnancy to end in full term. There are times when something becomes so ultimate that we think that we would die if we didn't have it. And those are very dangerous things. Even the good things become those things. Lastly, I, I lacked trust. Ultimately, it becomes a trust issue. Does God truly have my best interest at heart and mind? Is he really doing what's best for me? better than I can do myself. And if you ask these questions during these difficult times, it's revealing something about where we are with God. You know, people accept Jesus for our salvation and forgiveness of sins. And we realize, I think at least biblically and theologically, that God loved us to give us his only son to die on the cross for us. And I want us to remember, it was at that moment that I remembered, if God would give of his only son, why would he withhold other blessings? Why would he be unkind all of a sudden or unloving? Why would he withhold lesser goods or equally important, so important to me, of life and death? We forget that God's purpose in our life as Christians isn't to make us happy, but to make us Christ-like and not to leave me as Jimmy-like. That my direction in life is to seek answers that will bring comfort and peace into my life, a peace that's not defined by him, but by me. And, what, and if God loves me, he's not going to let me find peace 
in that way because it's not real peace. The real peace that he's going to bring is going to be something so different, so much more deeper, so much more rich and full. And so surrender and submission and, and to accept the will of God begins with the understanding that I really am not him and I don't have control over tomorrows. And me coming to him is actually acknowledging in prayer. The moment you bow your head in prayer, you are saying, dear heavenly father, I surrender what I'm trying to control into your hands. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, Experiencing the Awe and Intimacy of God, quotes John Calvin and he says, God grants our prayer even if he does not always respond to the exact form of our request. And later he says, even when he does not comply with our wishes, he is still attentive and kindly to our prayers so that hope relying upon his word will never disappoint us. And here's the key. In short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. And so the first question is we ask, why is it so hard to submit? Well, it's because I too have a will, and my will battles with his. The second question, why did Jesus, what, what did Jesus do that we find so difficult to do? In verse 43 and 44, it says, saying, Jesus prays, Father, If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling falling down to the ground. What did Jesus do in his moment of anguish and sorrow? He came into the presence of his heavenly Father with a humble prayer of submission. Now, I know that there are many of us who might say, I do do that. And some of us might say, well, I'm not Jesus. Well, amen. I agree with you. There are times when we might utter the words, not my will, but yours be done. But in our hearts, it's not true. I don't know what your will is. I don't know if you're agreeing with me, and I'm struggling. And I'm not Jesus. Yes, that's true. For some, when his life, when this life is struggling, when you're struggling with difficult circumstances, it often drives us away from God. Prayer is so hard to do. In fact, it's not just prayer. It's worship. It's fellowship. It's small groups. There are times when we are so into our sorrow or maybe even depression that we draw ourselves not toward God and others but away from God and others and we retreat into isolation. And in Proverbs 18.1, it says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Our own desire. You know, it's okay to be in pain It's okay to even agonize in pain. In fact, in verse 44, it says, being in agony, Jesus, being in agony, he understands that word agony, agonize, that's true. He experienced that. He understands what it's like 
To be in a life situation where it is so unbearable, so unthinkable that you're making a request to God. But what he did in response that we find so difficult to do is that he prayed even more earnestly. And if you're able to do this, it is by the grace of God and the power of God's spirit that leads you. What do we do? What we do with pain can make all the difference. You can draw away from God or you can draw toward God. To draw away is to return to the place of anxiety what we were not wired or created to be. We were never created to be in a situation where we are able to determine or see or know all things. That's not us. That's God's space. And so because we're not wired that way, God calls us to rest in him, to trust in him, and to, and to really release those things into his power and authority. In salvation, we are not just recognizing our sin of immorality. We're actually recognizing the essence of sin, which is to be God of our own lives, defining good and evil on our own. That's what, the, that's what that fruit was. It was the ability to separate ourselves from God and be so independent that we start defining good and evil on our own and we become little gods of our own life. To confess our sins then is not just to say, sorry God for being immoral or doing things that are, things that are breaking of the Ten Commandments or so, but it is to understand that I no longer hold the authority over my life. In fact, it is to call Jesus Lord or King. It is to relinquish your power and authority in your life and to recognize a new authority and power in your life, namely Jesus Christ. In fact, when we ask children or teenagers, what, what, is, what does it mean to have eternal life? You know what the, often the answer is? It is just to repeat what I asked, to live eternally. But scripture in Jesus' prayer in John 17, 3, Jesus defines eternal life as to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. This is eternal life. And I think it's not a mistake that Jesus defines eternal life to know the only true God because our life is filled with the temptation of lesser little gods. Salvation is not to accept a new destination of heaven or hell. It is to accept a new God in your life. Which means that every day we wake up, we are, we are to remind ourselves that I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That this declaration and this decision each day is to remember who I live for and how I live by faith. My brothers and sisters, if you're in a moment of struggle today, I want you to understand God sees you, and it's okay to struggle. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to doubt and struggle with fear. That's, that's our sinful condition. It's okay to come to God with your requests and make your requests before him. In fact, Scripture says, make your requests before God. But it's not okay when we tell God, you have to do my will. 
What Jesus did was to make his request to the Father. And the Father's love met him there. In fact, the scripture says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And I thought, what did he need strengthening for? Well, it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. You know, the Spirit of God has been given to us greater than an angel. The Spirit of God continues to speak into our lives. It's that, it's that little thought that says, why don't you pray? And Jesus came to the Father and asked, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus returns to the disciples, he finds them asleep. And the scripture says, and when he, arose from, when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And you know, I don't know what you thought, but when I first read this text or the texts that speak of this situation, I thought the, the, it was just evening. I thought they had a meal. They're tired. They fell asleep. Oh, you lazy disciples. No. The scripture tells us here that it was a, a sleeping that came because they were worn out from grief. Jesus was only a stone's throw away. That means they heard him agonizing in prayer, and they were agonizing. But what Jesus did was continued in prayer. What they did was fell asleep. Have you ever fallen asleep because you just cried yourself to sleep? You see, some people, we medicate our pain with sleep, with alcohol, with food, maybe even drugs, we binge watch. We do anything to get our mind off of our pain. But Jesus tells his disciples, rise. And what he's saying is don't let sorrow overwhelm you or overtake you. Instead, overtake sorrow by praying. And I want to be clear. Prayer is not medicating, but living in the empowered uh, enablement of God, that God has enabled us to have power, and that power comes when in those moments of prayer, we remember our heart's longing and need. We remember the God who we address, and we remember that he loves and he is able. And so what Jesus did was that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant. He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. Instead, he emptied himself. He relinquished those, those, those natural rights when he was in the form of a servant as a man. And as a, as a, as a real 100% man, he understands what you're going through. He demonstrated the heart of humility. And in the face of the trials that were coming, he made his request, but he said, not my will, but yours be done. He also did not give in to idolatry. The temptation in the wilderness by Satan was, all this I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And his response to Satan was, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In that resistance, we see that there is no shortcut answers to the things that we want in life, that only God can bring His way, in His time, in His will. 
You can try. But I think you will eventually end up in the same place of prayer and submission. And then obviously he surrendered his will to the Father when he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. I want to assure you this is not just empty hope. Whatever I ask, I hope your will be done. It's not praying into the sky. It's not wishful thinking. This is actually the essence of faith, where I trust God with what I cannot see and trust that what he has demonstrated in his love and his sovereignty and his ability and his love for us, that he will continue to do so in ways I cannot see right now or understand today. Where the disciples failed, Jesus did perfectly. Where they slept, he prayed. And this is where we understand the word grace. Grace meets us when we fall short. And every day we're reminded that God is not surprised of our shortcomings and failures. And so the first question, why is it so hard to submit and surrender? Well, because I have a will that contests God. And then secondly, what, what did Jesus do that was so difficult for us? Well, it's, he did perfectly to surrender and trust the Father's will, where sometimes we struggle with that. The third question, what can we do to respond to God's will the way Jesus did? This is more of a thought of what we can do to really think about how to respond and how to be prepared to respond. Some of you may not have gone through really trying times yet. You might. God, I hope you don't. But if you do, I want you to understand, you cannot prepare for the moment at the moment. It's too hard. God's grace will still meet you. But like any situation of sports or even a fight, you cannot think about fighting at the moment. You have to think about how to prepare for that moment. And so the times that we spend with God are those moments where we are preparing. And so we do this by submitting to God and his, and his authority. We acknowledge his truth. You know, time in the word of God reminds us of what, who God is, what he has said, his truths, his promises. And this daily remembering and this daily experience of acknowledging and simply reading scripture reminds and teaches our soul that I don't know everything, but he does. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, God speaks of our, our troubles and our difficulties as he calls it this light and momentary affliction. Now, for those of you who lost, lost loved ones or facing marital strife that is painful beyond understanding and, and, and going through real hardships of really just not sure about what tomorrow holds, for God's word to say, this is just a light and momentary affliction, can feel like it's an insult. But if we're willing to look at it from God's perspective, from eternity, from what Jesus has already secured for us, that it is actually true. It is momentary compared to eternity. And Jesus has already carried the heaviest weight. We're also reminded in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What, what this passage is teaching us in essence is, there are a lot of things that we will never know the reasons why. Those belong to God. 
The things that he has revealed in his word are for us and our children. These we can hold and these we trust. There are, there are two classes of people in the universe, God and everyone else. And we just need to remember that. So it's acknowledging God and who he is and submitting to God and his truth. Secondly, we acknowledge who, he, who is God. We acknowledge his authority by submitting ourselves in prayer. And as we seek to obey him and surrender our requests to him, we understand that all that we desire and all that we long for, we are addressing to the one who loves us, but one who ultimately has the authority and power. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice it doesn't say give thanks uh, because of all circumstances, but in, the, in all circumstances. That there are times when circumstances are so tough. God, it would be cruel to say God says, well, give thanks. No, that would be cruel. But in those moments, you can give thanks. You can find joy. Not a happiness, but you even in sorrow, even at a funeral, you can have a, the security of the joy of knowing that your loved one is with the Lord. And pray without ceasing. It, it's a continuous Submission and surrender to God as we seek and make our request to Him. And this is God's will for us. Thirdly, we agree and accept His purpose for our lives to grow in Christ likeness. You know, a lot of our goals in life is to find comfort and happiness. God's goal in our life is to make us more like Jesus. And sometimes, maybe more times than not, those things are not the same thing. And I want you to know that out of his love for us, he wants the very best, which is for us to know him and to become like his son more and more. And one of the things that I really find to be helpful to grow in Christ-likeness is to remember what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I want you to understand very clearly. I've asked it to my kids, and my kids said very clearly, I said, do you like to serve or be served? And they said, be served. <laughs> There's not one person, if we're honest, who, who would rather serve than be served. I love being served. You know, when people say, Pastor Jimmy, oh, here you go. I'm like, I, I, you know, I go, oh, no, it's okay. But I really like it. I like they bring me food first. I like being able to be offered certain things at a seat or whatever. My natural sinful temptation is to actually wallow and want this more and more. But the reality is to grow in Christ's likeness, I have to teach myself and train myself by the power of God's Spirit and the constant reminder of Scripture that I'm not here to be served but to serve just like my Lord Jesus Christ. And so at home when my 15-year-old daughter or my 17-year-old son says, Hey, Dad, can you get that for me? And I'm like, I want to say, go get it yourself. They're like, oh, I, I thought we're here to serve each other. And I'm like, you, okay. You know, there's such a challenge of my sinful desires and my choice each day to become more like Jesus by simply remembering 
I'm not here to be served, but to serve. You know, he loved, and the greatest demonstration of his love was to give of his own life and serve us in this way. You know, last week, Pastor D. Penn read from our Confession of Faith, Catechism 103, and I had to write it down because I thought it was so appropriate. I wish it was switched so that it would fit today. But Catechism 103, if you weren't here last week, it said, what do we pray for in the third petition? In the third petition, which is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to, the, to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. And when I heard that and confessed it, I was like, oh, yes, this is what I really want us to remember. You know, in verse 39, it begins with, he came out and went as was his custom. It was his pattern of behavior. It was his habit to go to this place and pray. My dear brothers and sisters, one of the things that sometimes is such a struggle in today's lifestyle is to have this pattern, this custom, this lifestyle of constantly coming to God in his word, in prayer, and serving others as Jesus served us. If you're a part of small groups and small group leaders, you know I call this TLCs, His Truth, His Life, His Love. And what I really believe is, is, a, is a description that Jesus gave as following him as his disciples is to really live in a manner where his word abides in us, where we are living and bearing fruit and proving ourselves to be his disciples, and also to love as he loved us, letting and demonstrating to the world, and the world will know that we are his disciples because we have love for one another. You know, whenever I uh, attend funerals, and I hear the gospel preached about Jesus and heaven and glory and the promise of him returning. I wonder, how do people deal with life and death without God or Jesus? How do they find strength and where is their hope? And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded that there is someone who knows what that feels like. That on the cross... In the moment of desperation and need and loneliness, there was silence. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Tim Keller, in his book, In Prayer, he says, we know God will answer us when we call because one terrible day he did not answer Jesus when he called. In your moments of pain, Know this, that Jesus is alive, that he will return, and that he will take us home. And that our hope is not in how things can get better here. It is when we go that perfection will as promised. All of life is but a brief moment. From the span of eternity, it is but a moment. But 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I don't know if my dear friend John Choi is here today. Pastor Harold talked about his wife's passing. I believe Carol today has seen, has heard, and now doesn't need to imagine what God has prepared. 
My grandmother knows this. My parents will soon know this. You and I will know this. And I hope that your shalom is not based on circumstances, but by the demonstrated will of God through Jesus Christ on the cross and the promised hope of what is yet to come. And I hope that your, your shalom, your peace with God will truly be found in his will and may his will be done. Let's pray. Lord, there are dear children of God, both listening online and here in this room, who have been struggling to give you the praise that your name deserves or to pour out their hearts of the real things that are going on. Maybe words we would feel ashamed to say to you, but you know them already. And thank you by your grace, you meet us and you say it's okay. I pray that you would give us the strength by your spirit and the reminder of the gospel that we are not here to find hope in the things that might pass away. But may our hope be in the promises that you've given For you reminded your disciples that in this life we will have tribulation, but to take heart, for he has overcome the world. And as believers, may we hold on to this hope, not only of your coming, but of your your deliverance and of your promises fulfilled. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.